We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blue Wire. What is up, Nets fans? Welcome to the Brooklyn Buzz. I'm Nick Faye. With me, my guy, Jack Manuel. And Jack, we are talking about an epic comeback for the Brooklyn Nets over the Boston Celtics, 115-105. How are we doing? Down by 28 points, Nicholas, in that second quarter. And look, I was down in the dumps. You and I were both down in the dumps trying to figure out what type of content we'd be discussing today. My partner with me is like, you know, stick with it, stick with it. And I'm like, really? Are you watching the same thing that I am? And then suddenly the Nets come alive offensively. Mikhail Bridges outplays an MVP contender in Jason Tatum. The Nets finally actually do what they're supposed to do on defense. And they get they lead by as much as 16 points, a 44-point turnaround. Nick, this was something else. Yeah, this was an epic game. I mean, this is really incredible. Like you said, a 44-point turnaround. At one point in the game, it was an 85-41 to 41 run. That is a real number. And considering the team we've watched over the course of the last two weeks post-All-Star break, this did not seem possible. Big credit to a lot of guys. Like you said, Mikel Bridges was awesome. Played like an All-Star tonight. Royce O'Neal brought some great energy off the bench. Dorian Finney-Smith started to finally knock down some shots, but I also want to give a shout-out to my son, Nico, because he came home, and the Nets started their comeback. So he's a little good luck charm. So came home from Grandma's, and next thing you know, the Nets get a win. What you love, mate. Our loved ones are inspiring us and inspiring the Nets no matter where they are. Yeah, for real. I mean, before we jump into it, though, quick reminder, you can find the buzz on all streaming platforms. Also, give us a follow on Instagram at Brooklyn Buzz Pod. But, Jack, where do you want to start with this one? I reckon we go back to the start of the game, Nick, because at that point, Cam Johnson, happy 27th birthday, Mr. Johnson, he had three fouls and the Nets had three points. It was a disastrous start. The Nets start like one of eight from the field. It ends up being like two of 14. They give up. 30 points again, which is 13 out of 17 quarters at that at that period that they'd given up 30 points plus. It was 35 to 30. And then suddenly there's a little bit of a spark towards the end of that second quarter. What ignited that spark, Nick? 
Yeah, like I said, I mean, it was guys just really turning it up. I think Royce O'Neal brought some great energy off the bench. Dorian Finney-Smith, I think, had eight points, a couple blocks, a couple assists and rebounds in that quarter as well. Him turning it up, guys just playing better basketball and honestly just playing with a level of energy and effort that we anticipated this specific roster to play with. You know, over the course of the last four games and the four-game losing streak, there was a lot of play that just wasn't good and guys didn't look interested. That first quarter, it felt like it was going to be Another 30-point blot like we saw against the Knicks. Like you said, they lost the first 37-15 to and then went on to win every other quarter in the game, winning the second and the third by double digits. That's that's really good stuff. And obviously, Boston didn't have their best game, but they're a really good team, and they've been able to hold off a lot of comebacks this season. Yeah, and I think that there was just different things. I think Mikhail Bridges was just absolutely phenomenal tonight. I think that Spencer, when he was driving and being aggressive, was doing good things. The defense looked a lot more engaged. Like DFS got some help side blocks. Clax got some wonderful blocks. Actual He's defensive won- rotations. Honestly, in the first quarter, there was plays where no one was rotating. It was a lot of one-on-one defense. Yeah, and they would just get into the rim at will, especially yep. at that small ball DFS at the five sort of lineups. It's just like... Uh, does anyone want to play defense here? And, and it just seemed to me that the there was just something that clicked. There was a little bit of a run heading into the half. I think the Nets were down by, you know, single digits or, or around that. And they just kept chipping away at it. And they just kept, like, just playing good offense, you know, putting the ball in Mikhail's hands when it mattered, you know, hitting the three ball. I think that those were just the, the, be, the be all and end all for why the Nets were able to come back from such an incredible deficit. Yeah, and honestly, they went at Al Horford a lot in this game. And that's something they have not been able to do in the past. You know, looking back to last year's postseason, Horford was incredible, especially defensively. The Nets targeted him in this game, you know, with Spencer Dinwiddie, with Mikel Bridges, with the ball in his hands and also coming off screens. They were able to get downhill on him and turn that corner. And that opened up a lot of different things for this team. And also the Nets won this game without shooting an incredible number from three. They shot 14 of 44. Usually we're thinking, you know, a comeback like this, the team's shooting 40 or 50 percent. 14 of 44 from three is really not that crazy for a 28 point comeback. No, but it's the volume game, Nick. You know, the the Celtics themselves only took 30 hitting nine of them. So the the perimeter defense plus the the missing of just shots, which is just Tatum doesn't seem to happen. Yeah, and and I think that that's the the main thing. That and I think that the, the nature of some of the threes, you know, DFS hitting three in a row after going. I think I've, I've got the numbers in front of me. He shot twenty one percent from yep. three as a net and went five of eleven tonight. And I think that the Nets were able to to get to the free throw line as well and able to attack the mismatches. You know, there were times where Spencer just just dribble, 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 and that's. That can be like his, his fatal flaw, and I think Cam Thomas has the same sort of fatal flaw. Move the ball a little bit, attack the, the mismatches, get the ball moving, put the ball in McHale's hands a, a little bit more because, I mean, this kid is, and he's still a kid, like in his mid-20s, he's proving something that's, uh, again, I just always reflect on the episode we did over the All-Star break, and it's just like, am I going to have to, like, revise my, like, you know, maybe two to four All-Stars, Chris Middleton sort of thing? Like, could it be a Paul George sort of type, that sort of 1B, you know, maybe a lesser sort of a high version of a second option? Because what we saw from him tonight, Nick, was just epic. And there was at one point where I'm like, God damn it, the NBA's most durable player is about to miss the rest of the game and probably the next game because and the Nets are cursed for, for so many different reasons. But he comes back out there and he just he's hitting everything and playing incredible defense. He's a goddamn warrior. Like, I love this man. 
Yeah, he he also just plays with a great energy and just enthusiasm. It was actually kind of funny. I think there was a point in this game. I don't know if you recall this. I want to say it was the second quarter. He got called for a foul. Marcus Smart smacked him in the head on the play. And Mikel kind of was like, okay, okay, like that's how it's going to be. And after that point, he really turned up his game. And like you said, he's just taking his game to the next level. I saw a stat during the game. As a Phoenix Sun, he had one 30-point game. As a Brooklyn Net, he's already had three 30-point games and eight eight games as a net. It's really impressive stuff. And we were talking off air a little bit about the in-between game, you know, that short range to mid-range where he's just really, really fluid. And so many teams are worried about stopping layups in the three-point line. And that's an area where you can really attack. We know that very well, obviously, watching Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving for the last couple seasons. And Mikel's been able to really operate super well in that area. And we also talked about in the DMs, you know, if he could add a pull-up three, Five seconds later, he hits a pull-up three. So, I mean, there, that's a huge shot. For me, I think the ability to pull, hit a pull-up three off the dribble is such a game-changer in the way that teams have to defend you. The fluidity of it as well, Nick, like, that was smooth as hell. And I I, I agree in, in part, like, we, we've had discussions about Mikhail before, and I know you put it out there on Twitter as well, that there are times where his handle can look a little bit sloppy, but you know, I think KD's handle is even a, a little bit sloppy at times well, as well. I have, a couple people jumped in my mentions when I put that out there. It's also, you know, it's a problem when having super long arms. Yeah, I, I think that both of them are, like, probably the two longest-armed dudes in the NBA with, you know, taco full of all, you know, bowl, bowl. But in, in saying that, 43 minutes from Mikael Bridges tonight, like a warrior-like performance, as I alluded to. 13-22 from the field, 4-6 from three, 8-9 from the free-throw line, 9 boards, 2 offensive, 4 assists, and had a steal as well. Only the 2 turnovers for his plus 8 for his 38 points. A little bit disappointing he couldn't get that 40-piece, but... Uh, the three-level scoring, Nick, is what is what superstars do, and he can do that. Like, obviously, he hasn't had the opportunities to showcase it to a high extent. But we're getting this over like a, a five, six-game sample size from Mikhail Bridges as he continues to grow and flourish, and the responsibility, the ball handling duties, the facilitating duties for himself and others continue to to grow. Like. He's going to be, he's going to untap things that we haven't talked about. Like you spoke about that pull up three. I'm like, man, that, that was, look, I don't, we don't want to keep like comparing to Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, but it literally was Kevin Durant like. Yeah. There was a, a skid pap, a skip pass he made in this game to the corner that I would just haven't seen him make, you know, so far as a net. And it's just those small things. And I think starting to understand how he's going to be played, how defenses are going to play him. I also thought his defense turned up a little bit more in that second half. In that first quarter, he was you know, part of the problem along with the other four guys on the floor. No one was really playing good defense. And when he turns up and plays really well, it just disrupts a lot of things. And I think there's starting to be a level of cohesion defensively that we just haven't seen since that Sixers game. Yeah, I think some of it is effort, some of it is communication, some of it is a combination of all things in between. And some of it is just literal confusion. Yeah, and I, and I think that there there was that. Like you know, when you're playing a switching style of defense, communication is important, and just being you know proactive rather than reactive. You know, you know, giving a, a player a second to to drive at a lane. You know, being awful on handoffs, all those different things. I think that's going to be a work in progress. And I think someone put out, I think it was one of our listeners, like the Nets been like 29th in in defense since the All Star break, but. 
another shot I want to allude to with Mikhail before we move on, Nick, was at around 90, I think it was either the 92-86 or 94-86. And Mikhail, there's a defensive stop and he pushes the pace hard. And I'm like, is he going to drive to the line? Is he going to take a pull-up three? What's he going to do here? And then he takes that midi that you're alluding to. And I'm just like... Pushing the pace into a mid-range shot is not analytically sound, not analytically friendly, but it's two points. And it's efficient when you're that good at it, like Mikael Bridges has shown as a Brooklyn Net and as he showed tonight. He's just got real fluidity in it. And it's just like, it splashes. Like, you, the the net snaps when he, has, when he takes that... Uh, there's something on like the rotation of the spin when he makes that shot. It's just, it's smooth as hell. It's butter, baby. Yeah, I think uh, it's incredibly difficult, too, when you're running a fast break and pulling up for a jumper. And also, there was another play where he pushed in transition and against three Celtic defenders, hit kind of like a Euro step and ended up getting to the free throw line. You know, he's mixing it up and just using a lot of different areas of his game. And it's just opportunities he did not have in Phoenix, you know, given where he was on the totem pole, behind a Devin Booker, behind a Chris Paul, even behind a DeAndre Ayton offensively. Now he's getting those opportunities to really grow his game. And I saw someone on Twitter recently, I forget who it was, point out like he could make a huge jump similar to we saw Pascal Siakam take a huge jump later on in his career just because the opportunities became available. Yeah, and like we made the comparison point with SGA, what happened for, for him this year. But I think Pascal Siakam is a, a much more apt point that that user did make. And I think the the thing with Mikael Bridges is opportunity and also untapped potential. Like there's, he's going to have the ball in his hands a lot more. Like if Spencer learns to, to just give the ball up and not dribble the air out of the basketball and let Mikael do his thing, he's going to have nights. He might average 30 points for the rest of the season. Like he's that talented of a scorer. And I didn't know that he was like, I, I really, really didn't like there were points throughout the, the tenure where Devin Booker was out where I'm like, oh, he's nice. He's got something. Yeah. But like, I, I'm enjoying the unknown potential of Mikhail Bridges. Mikhail Midrange Bridges, Brooklyn Bridges, call him whatever you want. But man, this guy, he, he's, he's something else. And I'm fascinated to what he can turn into as a Brooklyn net. With Phoenix, it felt like you saw a lot of, you know, he made plays off of second actions or, you know, he was the result of a star player driving and kicking, getting run off the three point line. Now you're seeing him create more on his own. And as you mentioned, you know, Spencer getting him the ball is going to be important. I think the Nets need to make sure they're calling plays for him to get the ball. And also I think at times he has to understand, like he needs to call for the ball because he's becoming that guy on this team. Yeah, he's got an attitude about him. Like, you know, you love the three-point celebration, as you were alluding to with Marcus Smart, heading into timeouts and, and these sort of things. You know, he has a, a little... We saw him limping and then come back and and still lead this team to a, a, a formidable, historic comeback win. Best so one of the season, guy, Jack? Say that again, mate. Best one of the season? Uh, yeah, look, I'm, I'm putting it right there. And look, the, the maybe the wins matter less, but... We're enjoying the journey and we're enjoying what the Nets are as they are right now. Like, and you, look, it's it's sweeter coming up against you know, the 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 old foe in the Boston Celtics. Jay, in, tonight, he outplayed an MVP contender. And in a, a team where the Nets haven't played too well with our two superstars in the past, for Mikael Bridges to play like this, best wing performance by a Brooklyn Net in a very, very long time. It really has been. I think the Nets haven't beaten the Celtics since like 2021. Like uh, it might be that long ago because they were obviously swept last year and lost all those matchups in the regular season. So 
it's been a really long time since they beat the Celtics. And like you said, Mikel outperformed all the wings that have played against them in those matchups as well. And obviously it was mainly one wing and it was Kevin Durant and Mikel Bridges just looked really comfortable in this game. I thought also Cam Johnson did a really nice job bouncing back from a terrible first half. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, I think that what Camp CJ showed was I just love when he's aggressive and getting to the line. Like, he's got size about him. If you got Peyton Pritchard on you, you got Luke Cornett on you, like, cook those fools. And he did. And he got to the free throw line a couple of times. You know, he I think his shot selection sometime, at least tonight, wasn't perfect. But he hit the right shots at the right time. And, you know, getting to the free throw line is an easy way to see the ball go through the, through the net and put the pressure on the defense. Yeah, I think he does a nice job of using his size on drives, like you said, against some of those smaller defenders. And then he got Robert Williams in the air on that pump fake, got himself two easy free throws. I think there was a lot of threes in this game that he typically would hit, you know, that he even hit last game against the Knicks. He just wasn't knocking it down, specifically that one sequence where the Nets got like five offensive rebounds and he had two corner threes from the same spot. You really anticipate him knocking down one of those. But hey, the Nets got the win. And like you said, he found a way to produce at the free throw line. Yeah, I mean, it, I think it was Sarah Kustak on the call saying it's all about how you how you start your birthday, it's how it ends. And you know, Cam Johnson ended his birthday night with a win, and you know, eight to ten from the free throw line. That's the that's the stat that really does stick out. It got to the twenty points, three, five rebounds, three assists, had a steal, one offensive board, five or sixteen from the field, two or nine from three. But you know, the eight to ten free throws is what sticks out and what elevates you know that sort of five or sixteen night to be. 
you know, a, a truly like really bad game, really awful start as I alluded to. You know, three fouls and then got got like a fourth as well. You know, you question Jacques Vaughn's decision to keep him out there, but at the end of the day, Jacques Vaughn made good coaching decisions with the rotation tonight, and Cam Johnson bounced back in a big way to really impact the game. Yeah, I could have sworn he had a block in this game on Peyton Pritchard on a drive too. They didn't credit him with a block, but I'm pretty confident he at least impacted. Probably the steal. That's it's been done before. I was looking at like Nick Claxton sort of film as well, Nick, and it's weird how some things get called steals and blocks. And uh, either way, he he's in, he can impact the game defensively. And I think he's been uh, the the quotes that he's had, and, and I think I mentioned on the on the Hawks pod that he sort of said about like, and you sent them to me. You're figuring out you know, new things and a new system. And I think in that first quarter, we saw him with Mikhail just like, where am I supposed to be? What do I need to do here? You know, just figuring out a, a switching style system that is foreign to him, Mikhail, and and, and the guys that we've got. And I think it just, the, the simplification of certain things and just being more present, being more engaged and just being, just showing more effort, determination, all those little intangible things is where like he can impact the game. Well, we saw stretches again against Philadelphia and tonight we saw positive stretches of defensive basketball as well. Yeah, we really did. I mean, the Celtics are a really good team. Obviously, some of their negative performance was shooting variants, but they held them to 20 points in the third quarter and 21 points in the fourth quarter. This is one of the best teams in the NBA. This is a team a lot of people have picked to go to the Eastern Conference Finals, and the Nets found a way to come back. And yeah, maybe the Celtics didn't take the Nets serious enough in you know, the first half of this game, but in that fourth quarter, they were locked in, and they couldn't come back and get the win. Do you think, Nick, oh, we'll go to Dorian Finney-Smith. I think that's, that's the, the next likely place to go to. Was this his best game at the five? Like, I, I thought we actually saw some positive stretches from him from there because in games past, it's been like, really? Like, are we really going to do this? A guy that's six foot seven, you know, at, at the five. And look, he's a, a wonderful rebounder. But tonight we saw, you know, defensive impact, you know, the rebounding again. And thank God the three-point shooting. Yeah, I think when Robert Williams went out of the game and didn't come back, it allowed them to go to that small ball because they didn't really, the Boston doesn't really have a lob threat other than Robert Williams. Al Horford's not going to get too high. Mike Muscala is more of a stretch five. And I think also when the defense is engaged, it's easier to play small ball because you're relying so much on rotations and you're relying so much on speed and team defense. And we saw the the team just really improve in that area. Even guys that are bad defenders like Seth Curry, I thought was very active defensively in the game. And that's what you need when you're going small and playing, you know, a, like you mentioned, a guy that's six, seven at the five. Yeah, exactly. And and I thought that, you know, the two blocks for him tonight will give him a bit of confidence there. And, you know, this was the sort of right matchup, as you alluded to. I think the Nets really, you know, made an impact, you know, attacking Al Horford and, you know, when Robert Williams wasn't out there too. And, and I thought Nick Claxton, you know, <laughs> I, I don't look at the box score when I'm watching Nick, Nick Claxton play because, you know, despite, you know, the fact that he only had two points and only made one field goal, like, he still was, was just awesome. Like, this starting five, analytically, you know, I think they're plus 11, plus 12 or whatever in, in 90 minutes or, or something like that. And, yeah, people advocating for Cam to start. I've sort of, you know, contemplated that at times. Should DFS you know, continue to play minutes at the five? You know, you towards an army wasn't available tonight. Neither was Edmund Sumner. And congratulations to him and his partner on the birth of their baby. But tonight it just sort of worked, Nick. And, and there were circumstances that allowed it to work. 
Yeah, I think uh, it's not going to work every matchup. And like you've talked about in the past, I've talked about in the past, Yuta would probably make sense next to Dorian Finney-Smith if you're going to go super small, play as much length as you can at the other positions to kind of make up for that lack of size. Obviously, the Nets could still add you know, a player at that center position to really fill out the roster, which would be ideal. But talking about Nick Claxton, I think also we're starting to see the impact of Claxton offensively. Even though he's not scoring points, he's becoming a part of the offense, really helping with those dribble handoffs and just sometimes initiating the offense and doing a really good job of it. And that's something that's you wouldn't anticipate saying about Clax the last two seasons. Yeah, I think as well, his screening is quite important when he's not out there. You sort of feel like obviously there's a lot more space, you know, for Spencer to drive and such. But I think he creates space for Spencer with his physical screening. And that's something, you know, in seasons past, both of you and I have said where Clax really needs to grow. He's grown immensely as an offensive player. And as, as a big man, screening does matter. You know, you look at Steven Adams. Steven Adams has made a goddamn career out of it. And I'm not saying Nick Claxton is Steven Adams, but he's doing the things that a center should. And you know, he's comfortable with the ball in his hands. When he hit that field goal, he's like, thank God I finally got one. Yep. And he's, he, as a rebounder tonight, and what, 12 boards, Nick? Three blocks as well. Like, Clax, you, you got to just watch him. And I think... A lot of people aren't when it comes to sort of like national pundits and such. You know, they're going like, oh, well, it's the Bucks now. So Brooke Lopez is defensive player of the year. You watch basketball. Nick Claxton is still, you know, for him, it, for me, it's him and Jaron Jackson Jr. When Jaron Jackson isn't getting stat padded by the home refs, uh, the home, uh, sorry, stat, um, uh, stat official score. Yep. Official score is whatever you, the, the heck you want to call them. You know, Nick Claxton is one of the most impactful defensive players in the goddamn league. Yeah, I mean, he had at least two of his rejections came on Jalen Brown, you know, one of the most athletic finishers in the NBA. And I think it started to impact Jalen as the game progressed, kind of seeing if Clax was around the rim because he's that good of a player. And as you mentioned on the screening stuff, he's becoming a better screener, but also the fact that he's such a threat to roll to the rim very quickly and be a lob threat, that just forces the defense to react where all these other like like size guys are setting screens we're just going to switch or we know that we can recover in time with Clax, it provides a little bit of a different element that you have to defend and i'm really happy and i was even questioning maybe later in the game uh should you sub Clax back in yeah it, it worked out the nets won but i do think at times where i'm just very pro Claxon and the impact that he has and i know sometimes his deficiency offensively in terms of shooting impacts the team but at the same time he provides other elements yeah, it's Clack City, bitch. Like it's it's, <laughs> it's, it's it's as simple as that. So, as you were alluding to, Nick, you know his his footwork is is really smooth, really fluid. Like he's a guy that just has you know for a six eleven dude, he just looks like he's he's effortless out there. You know he he wants the ball in his hands. His free throw shooting is improving. You know then the the question about Nick Claxton's future is one that I don't really want to have tonight. I don't, don't want to spoil the vibes as, but it's it's something that is going to you know creep up sooner rather than later because he is outplaying that. Nine ten million dollar contract in spades is one of the best contracts in the goddamn NBA, yep. and the Nets have a couple of bad ones on the books, so this one sort of makes up for it. But I also do see it from looking at from the other perspective. You know, I've maybe said some poor things about Jacques Vaughn over the last week or whatever, and I, I think some of them are valid. Some of them might be me getting in my feels a little bit, but I think the fact that they were only able to play Nick Claxton twenty nine minutes tonight, you know, it's. It, it makes me think back to Jacques Vaughn saying we want to kind of like hold him back a little bit from himself. And that sort of saves you a little bit going up into games going forward where the game might need more Clack City. And it's it's 34 minutes, it's 35 minutes. So a uh, uh, credit to Jacques Vaughn tonight for the way he was sort of handled. I thought we could have seen some extended time from him, but ultimately the Nets got the win. That's all that really yeah. matters. 
That worked out. And I've definitely said some really mean things about the Nets, Jacques Vaughn, over the course of the last week. And I'll continue to say mean things if it means the Nets are going to win. Um, but like you said, I'm happy to see them perform and bounce back. And I think Vaughn definitely deserves credit kind of steadying the ship and trying to get the guys to at least play with a level of effort and energy, willing to make some adjustments, throwing some different guys out there and seeing what works. And it ended up just giving you a formula. And obviously he played a role in that. The players played a bigger role, but still credit to him because this easily could have been another 30, 40 point blowout. Yeah. Playing Cam Thomas and, and Joe Harris only seven and eight minutes respectively. Like, look, we're, we're killer Cam believers on this podcast and will be till the day that we die. But he just wasn't feeling it out there. The, the Boston Celtics are not a good matchup for him. And and Joe Harris, you know, it's it's sort of sad what is happening with him. And it, we can have that discussion a little bit if you want, Nick. And again, I don't want to spoil the vibes totally. But, you know, playing Seth Curry, Seth just seems to play well against the Celtics. Yeah. You know, his mid-range just, just seems to be there. And they... They they really respect that shot, and because he has the the sort of two the mid range game to it as well, especially off the dribble, and he's just got fluidity from the long mid range when they do force him off the line, and he was hitting those shots tonight. And you know, what was he plus fourteen in in, in fourteen yeah. minutes? So that that's a hell of a credit to him. And Royce it was plus fourteen in his time as well. So look the the right rotation uh, from Jacques tonight, and you know no Darren Sharp, no Patty Mills, no none of these sort of guys. You know a couple of guys who were in, inactive due to injuries and uh, family stuff respectively. But it was a nice rotation tonight, and good to see you know the the guys contributing in in different forms and facets. Yeah, and credit to Seth. Like I mentioned before, he was actually active defensively. He has obviously his shortcomings on then, but three steals, and I believe two of them were on Jason Tatum in this game. Just active hands. Like if you're a bad defender, at least play with some energy and effort, and that's going to go a long way. You know, and yeah. I, no, I, ahead, as Nick. you were saying, Nick, I, I want to sort of piggyback on the the three steals. Jason Tatum's handle isn't incredible. Like it's like Mikhail Bridges coming around. Like these guys that are like six, eight, six, ten and above with incredible wingspans. That's a weakness in their game. And in the regular season, it doesn't get attacked. You know, you sort of hone in on those weaknesses much more in the postseason. But the Nets aren't going to be making a massive impact. They don't need to save things for the postseason. You know, they don't need to have things up their sleeve. So Seth, you know, recognizing that, that's what a vet sort of does. And look. I still think the Nets should have got rid of, you know, not got rid of, but traded Seth Curry to a, a different team because I don't think he has a future with the Nets due to his inspiring contract. And Joe Harris is a, another question, but you know his contract's going to look better when it's expiring. So, but the fact that he's impacting games where when Nets are getting wins, I'm more than happy to keep him if he keeps doing that. Yeah, I mean, obviously. We could look back to the trade deadline and probably a couple guys should have been potentially moved for what the real expectations are for this team. But this could be potentially a turning point for the rest of the season. And maybe some progress could be made in terms of the Nets being, I don't want to say successful, but more competitive. And I think at the end of the day, even if the goal is to stealth tank, you still want to seek a level of competitive basketball. And we saw that tonight. And again, credit the guys for not just laying down and getting cooked. That's a question I guess I want to ask you, Nick, and it might be to sort of finish up the pod. I think before a lot of us are like, well, this is a pretty loaded draft class. Let's start doing the research. Let's start listening to the pods and start watching the film. There's a lot of people that are like, well, let's just hold on to the six seed. The Heat aren't doing that great. The Knicks obviously are, are on a run as we've seen and we've, we've been firsthand, ex- we've had firsthand experience of. Where do you stand in that conversation? I want to. I'm not sure if I've discussed with you personally on the pod, or you've done it solo, or you put it out on Twitter. I want to have the discussion with you before we end this one about what should be the short-term direction of the team for the rest of the 2022-23 season. Before we jump into it, just want to give one quick note on Spencer. 
a completely different player when he gets his head head downhill yes. and drives and goes to the rim and just tries to make shots rather than look for fouls because he can still make those shots. But in terms of the goal of this team, uh, I think it's it's really tough because you see performances like these and you see Mikel Bridges and what he can do. And also you have a level of control about what can happen because obviously, like you mentioned, the Heat have been pretty bad. They lost to the Knicks tonight. The Nets won tonight. They gain a game on them. So I think... I don't I think like you just go into the rest of the season. I'm not I'm not one that's going to try to lose games. That's just never I don't think that's good for any organization unless you're just really bad going to the year of the Nets had traded, you know, Katie and Kyrie in the offseason. That was the goal to tank this year. But I think at this point in the year, tanking really doesn't do anything for you, given your position. If you get knocked out of the plane, you're still going to get a lottery pick. If you stay in the playoffs, you're going to gain good experience and hopefully able to boost the value of some guys. So I think the most important thing is to play competitive basketball and try to win games. And if you lose, you lose and you just go into the offseason. I don't think it, it to me, it just doesn't make sense to have any intention to lose on purpose when you have good players and good players that you're probably going to also look to move in the offseason and you want to see what these guys can do. It's going to be a lot easier to evaluate a Mikel Bridges, a Cam Johnson, a Nick Claxton on a team that's trying to win games rather than a team that's trying to intentionally lose games. Yeah, I don't think the Nets are going to intentionally lose. I think, as you alluded to, they just ride it out and, and sort of see how it goes. And if they lose games, they lose games. They win, they win games, they win games. Like, you know, I think a lot of fans will just be hoping for that, you know, a, a great win here or there and just good effort and, you know, none of these blowout losses and, you know, awful defense and, and those That's sort of things. That's what you don't want to see. I think the, the blowout and, like, the pathetic and disgusting basketball we saw for – you know, in quarter one and against the Knicks, like that's not what you want. If you lose games like you lost against the Hawks, whatever, you can live with that. Even the game you lost against the Sixers, you can live with that. You want to see some level of quote unquote pride. And, you know, obviously the Nets are about culture, but at the same time, it's like it really does mean something to at least like play a competent level of basketball. Yeah. And I guess it's ultimately what's the difference between, you know, pick, 12 to 18 19 obviously the the lottery balls might fall your way a, a little bit and look there's a lot of talent in this draft from what i've heard i need to do a little bit of a deep dive and and listen to some smarter people and read some smarter people but ultimately you know i all sort of trust sean marks when it comes to drafting he's done a decent enough job other than maybe Darren Sharp, but he's still in the infancy of his career. So look, we'll wait and see. We'll we'll ride it out nick and we'll be riding the wave along the way on the brooklyn buzz that's for sure yeah, it has been an absolute roller coaster. Uh, the last the last month has been. This game, Nick, was a roller coaster. This <laughs> yeah. game itself was like took me to the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. Like I needed in game therapist. It feels yeah. like. I mean, you could just go back from the Kyrie trade request to the Cam Thomas forty point game streak to the Kevin Durant trade to the win against Chicago to the win against the Heat to the four straight losses to this game. It has really been incredible. Uh, the ups and downs of one team in the span of just one month. But like you said, we'll be here to recap it all and react to it all. Jack, always a pleasure. Big thanks, everybody, for listening. Check the buzz on all streaming platforms. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. 
Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.